This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The more viewership I have, that's good. But it also has a lot to do with the types of content that you're talking about. I know creators who have way more subscribers than me and are in a more saturated industry and they make way less from YouTube ads than I do. Hello everyone, what's up? And welcome back to another episode of the Freelance Friday podcast. It is that special time of year where I start to dig through all of my reports and take a look at what went well this year, what didn't go so well, and what I want to change for the next year. So in today's episode, I'm going to be breaking down my revenue streams, talking about what percentage of my income or my total revenue each stream represents and whether or not I plan to grow it for next year, change anything with it and so on. Before we hop in, some people get a little bit weird. Some people love it. Some people hate it when I talk about revenue, money, dollars, income, anything like that. So a couple of quick disclaimers. Number one, I am not a mathematician. I am not an accountant. I am not a tax person. So there may be some discrepancies in some of these numbers. My accounting team has all of my most up-to-date, most accurate numbers, and they report every single cent that I make through any account. So just want to put that out there. And second disclaimer is that these are not totally up to date. I'm recording this in early December, so there still is some work to be done. So the final numbers may be a little bit different. And then my third disclaimer, and probably the biggest one is if you're watching this or listening to this to hear, you know, full numbers and breakdowns of exactly what the business made this year, you're going to be disappointed because that's just not something I am comfortable sharing. I know that there is a big push for transparency and showing people what is possible for good, bad, ugly. And I do think that is important, but I think being able to share complete transparency with financials safely is a privilege. I don't personally feel safe doing that. So please respect that and let's move on if you're still interested. Okay, so I also wanna say that when I first started freelancing full-time, this was one of the biggest things that prevented me from diving in sooner is I was just nervous that I wasn't going to make the money, right? I'm sure a lot of you watching who are maybe side hustling or thinking about starting an online business can relate. I felt like, okay, I only have this one skill set and there's only one thing I can do to make this money. If that doesn't work out, you know, I'm, I'm screwed basically. And what I hope this episode does is help you understand that there are a lot of possibilities. There are a lot of different ways to make revenue for your business. If one thing isn't working or isn't serving you or isn't serving your clients, you can always pivot to something else. This is definitely a great illustration of that because if you go back and check out last year's episode, you'll see these numbers are quite different. So let's hop in. I'm going to go smallest to largest this time. I usually go the reverse. We'll start with two that I actually don't have accurate numbers for. Again, my accounting team does. They know the data on it. I have like a really quick at a glance spreadsheet that I use to just track like daily receipts. And these two are actually so small that they don't even make it on there. The first might be surprising to some of you, but it's the Freelance Friday Club. It is my membership group. So this is something I launched about two years ago, a year and a half ago. It's basically an accountability group. We get on mastermind 
mastermind calls every other week with one another. We have kind of a group forum where we all chat. I check in on it every single day and answer questions, review people's websites, like just do a lot of sort of group coaching in that community. And I love it. I've met so many amazing people in there and it's just a lot of fun. But with that said, it is not a revenue generator for me. And I actually made a tough decision to pause enrollment on it. So everybody who's in it still has access to it. We're fulfilling our promise to them. We're, you know, everything is going to be going as normal for 2022, but we're not accepting new members right now because I think I need to figure out what I want to do with that. I think that we either are going to need to raise the rate again, not for existing members, but for new members, we're going to need to raise the rate to make it financially doable, or we're going to need to actually go through like a proper launch for it, which is something that I never really did. I never really launched it. It just kind of like popped up one day. I wouldn't say it's a failure because again, I've had amazing connections. A lot of people who join that group do end up going on to take a course or work with me one-on-one -on -one for coaching when I was doing that. So it's not like it has no value, but I do need to figure out a better strategy for it. I'll be honest. Second smallest revenue stream is affiliate income. So this is really nice to just kind of have on in the background. There's no pressure to it. Basically, I am an affiliate for a couple of different companies and products and things like that. Whenever I link them in a video, give you a referral code or something like that, I'll get a small percentage of, you know, that sale back to me. It doesn't cost you anything extra for using those links. It just is taken out of what the company would actually make from that sale. One of the biggest affiliate streams for me, you all know, I love HoneyBook. So I'm a part of their educator program. So whenever I use my link and you sign up and you actually complete a subscription to HoneyBook, I get a dollar amount for that, which is really nice. So this goes up and down for sure. It's pretty small in the grand scheme of things, probably like one to 2% of my total revenue, but it is definitely nice to have just in the background. I don't plan to grow it necessarily because I think the nice thing about affiliate revenue is that it's not forced, right? If I just am genuinely talking about, hey, you should probably get a CMS. HoneyBook is my favorite CMS, link down below versus me having to like be like, oh, I need to make, you know, a couple hundred dollars today. Let me make a video about HoneyBook, even if that's not genuine to me. So I don't plan to grow it. It's just something that's that's there. Number three is coaching. Coaching represented about 4% of my revenue this year, which sounds really small when I say it out loud, but I only coached for a couple of months, actually. January, I think I burned myself out, to be honest, because my January last year was just, or this year was just a whirlwind of discovery calls, of onboarding sessions, of one-on-one -on -one coaching. And I wanna be clear, I love one-on-one -on -one coaching. I love everybody that I worked with over these past few years as a one-on-one -on -one coach. Seriously, like some of my favorite people that I've ever met on the internet, but it is a lot of work for sure. And I definitely think I burned myself out on it. I really stopped doing one-on-one -on -one coaching in the weeks leading up to my wedding in May. So pretty much after that, I came back from that. Then I hopped into a cohort-based course, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And I just never really went back. Yeah, that was a small percentage of my revenue this year, but it was definitely there. Do I plan to change it for 2022? Not really. I don't think that I'll be opening up my three-month coaching program again in 2022. I may open up some one-on-one -on -one sessions, just like hour-long sessions, because I will be honest that it they're really fun every once in a while, but I do like the freedom that comes along with uh, some of the other things that I'm doing instead. And I also will say that I think 
I've seen even better results. Not that anyone's ever told me, hey, I hated your coaching program. It sucked. No one's ever told me that. But I've seen a lot more really beautiful results from the cohort-based course option that basically replaced the coaching. I've just seen a lot more tangible success. I think it's due to a lot of different things. I think it's due to community. I think it's due to just having a more structure or organized structure for it. That might just be my area of expertise. I'm just better at teaching in that way. No plans to really bring coaching back. Number four is one that has grown quite a bit if I am not mistaken, and that is brand deals at 8.5% of total revenue. This year, one of the big staffing changes that I made was I hired a partnerships manager to help me manage some of these potential brand deals. This is something that I've notoriously been pretty back and forth on my opinion about. I worked with a partnerships manager when I first kind of started my YouTube career, if you will. And I felt like they were very predatory. They took advantage of me. They did nothing to help me at all. And I kind of got a bad taste in my mouth about partnership managers. But last year, 2020, I was seeing a lot more requests for me to work on sponsored content, sponsored videos and sponsored Instagram posts. And I just didn't have the bandwidth to be able to take those on and or negotiate them, really get what I deserved from them. I felt like I would get myself in deals where I was really, really undervaluing myself. I'd be like, okay, fine, I'll do this video for you know $700 or $1,000 or whatever. And then they would be like a nightmare sponsor where they would be asking for revisions and they'd be asking for like five different posts. And it just really put a bad taste in my mouth. But at the same time, I did feel like there was a lot of opportunity there. And also creating this content is a lot of work. It does represent some of my revenue, as you'll see in the next line item here, but it's not a lot compared to all the other things I do and it takes up the biggest amount of my time. So I do need to have something to fuel this to make it make sense, you know? So I brought on a partnerships manager who is really amazing. He actually started as a viewer and so he really understands my brand. He understands my values and, you know, really makes sure that we're not partnering with brands who are sketchy or weird or demanding too much of me. And he also really understands my value and has the time and the energy and the ability to negotiate on my behalf, because this is something else. It's not just about the time. It's also incredibly awkward and kind of dehumanizing to, to negotiate for yourself. At least it was for me because you get on these calls and they just look at the spreadsheet and they're like, oh, well, you don't have as many followers as this influencer that we worked with. And she's one of your competitors and we'll just go work with her. And it's like, it just feels very slimy when you're the product. All that to say, uh, he has been able to really do a good job getting me what I feel is a very fair rate and work with some really cool brands. We worked with HubSpot Inbound this year. We worked with Later. We've worked with Vidyard, one of my favorite tools of all time. For next year, I think I would like to grow that, but again, similar to the affiliate income, I want it to be in a very authentic way. I don't want to say we need a sponsor for every video we put out no matter what and start taking on these weird brands that don't help you all because at the end of the day, that has to be my focus. And for anyone who's thinking, how can I replicate this strategy for myself? I think that's the goal is you need to make the brand partnerships a part of the content and part of the value that you're giving in that video. It can't just be like clearly just a money grab. You need to really make sure that it is going to be useful because you will lose your audience if you don't. If you just start to become this spam bot, you'll lose your audience and then you're not gonna be able to work with brands because then you don't have the numbers and it's this whole kind of cycle. So 
yes, I plan to grow it, but only if it can be done in a good, authentic way. The fifth largest revenue stream for 2021 was YouTube. So I am a part of YouTube's partner program. So I get paid for ads that run across my videos and on the sidebar of my videos and things like that. And it's really hard to explain what the calculation is for this. I really don't even understand myself if I'm being honest. Definitely watch time helps. So the longer people watch my videos is good. The more viewership I have, that's good. But it also has a lot to do with the types of content that you're talking about. I know creators who have way more subscribers than me and are in a more saturated industry or an industry where maybe people are tend to be a little bit younger and they make way less from YouTube ads than I do. And then the reverse is true too. I know creators who have less followers than me, less views than me, but make more than me. It is a really weird thing to calculate and Social Blade is wrong. I will just say that. Um, Social Blade is absolutely not fact. So anyway, it's 12% of my total revenue and there's not really much I can do to increase or decrease that besides just continuing to grow the brand on YouTube, which I definitely plan to do. I would love to keep up with two to three videos a week. I do think posting more has helped that number grow. Yeah. I mean, growing the YouTube is, is a goal in general. So we'll keep doing that. And hopefully that number will continue to raise alongside that growth. Number six, the second largest revenue stream for 2021 was client work. Client work came in at about 14.5% of my total revenue. And I did add Upwork in there. For some reason I had it separated in my spreadsheet, but it's all just client work. But I did stop working on Upwork, not for any like negative reason. I just haven't worked on that platform since about February or March. I had one really long-term full service social media management client on there that I was still working with, but I haven't like pitched for gigs or responded to anything since then. Just throwing that out there, but I. I still think it's great to have a profile and not like anti-upwork. I just haven't worked on there in a while, but total was 14.5% for client work that largely consisted of video content, social media strategy, some full service work, like I mentioned with the Upwork client and a couple others, you know, actually managing their social media, creating content for social media, doing strategies, things like that. So that number is quite a bit lower. The percentage number is quite a bit lower than what it was last year. It wasn't really super intentional. It just kind of happened gradually over time. I had been sort of planting these seeds for my largest revenue stream, which as you can guess is digital products and courses. I've been kind of planting those seeds over the years and 2020, I think with everybody being home, I think with a desire to really start working for yourself for so many people with the great resignation, I think all of those things just kind of lined up. So it took up the majority of my time and in turn was the largest revenue stream. So for the courses and digital products, I wanna be honest with you all, because I think when people hear that courses were 61% of my total revenue this year, people are like, oh wow, so you make most of your income through passive income, right? And I wanna say, I think there is a lot that people get wrong about passive income. So first, let me start by saying I have two types of courses and digital products that I offer. One would be considered evergreen or on demand, meaning you purchase the course, like the social media management roadmap or the social media management toolbox. You can purchase that right now, this second, get instant access to it and start learning at your own pace. You can take the course now, you can take it a year from now, you can take it five years from now, 
doesn't matter. So that's what I would consider my more passive income streams, but they still are not totally passive. And I'll explain why in a second. 35% of my course revenue was mostly passive. 26% of my course revenue, so that total 61% was less passive, let's just say, more cohort-based, more instructional-based, almost like a classroom setting. So those courses are the Social Media Management Accelerator and the Online Business Launch Lab, which is the one that I am enrolling for right now. It's gonna be starting in January. So these are eight-week courses where we have at least one live lecture every single week. So I'm actually live teaching answering questions live. There are also assignments for some of these courses. And there are also usually like networking sessions, co-working sessions, some other live element that I'm doing throughout the week. And then we also have Slack groups where I am getting in there every single day. Those are just a free for all. You can ask anything, you can share anything. I'm going in and posting links and posting resources. So, I mean, last session, the Slack took up like at least probably five to 10 hours a week for me just managing the Slack. So they're not passive. They're really more of like a group coaching setting. It's kind of a hybrid between being client work, coaching and courses. So I just want to be honest about that because I think there is a bit of a myth in this like passive income world that makes everything seem like it's, you know, get rich quick and never work again and just create something once. And then you'll be eating off that forever. And that's not really how it works. Even with the more passive courses like the toolbox and things like that, I go in and update those every year usually. And that's at no cost to the existing student. I updated the roadmap this year. And I mean, we completely redid all the videos, all the slides we added. We basically remade an entire course at no extra cost to the existing students. So that takes a lot of time. And then there also is a customer service element to it. We are responsible for making sure that people get their questions answered if they get locked out of their account and then or they forgot their password or they have a question about a credit card charge or something that's all on me and my team so we are managing all of those emails as well so passive income sure it's a real thing but it's not really a lot of my world i still do work a lot just to be totally transparent with you. As a side note, I just watched the Hulu documentary on Jen Shaw from The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. And I don't watch that show or anything, but I recommend checking it out if you're in this business, if you're in the online education business, if you're interested in passive income. Allegedly, what she was doing was like a scam. It wasn't actually work. But I do think it's important for us to be aware of what is out there and the types of scams that are basically masquerading as online courses and kind of what we're up against because people allegedly like her or allegedly whoever is doing these types of scams that do give us a bad name and are kind of the reason I feel the need to defend myself against that because it's really important that you put out quality products if you're gonna be putting out digital products. People don't wanna scam. They don't want you to promise that you're gonna be able to get them six figures every month or every year or whatever, and then you just ghost them or you there's no product on the other end. So it's a really interesting little documentary if you wanna check it out. The moral of the story and why I brought that up is because if you are gonna do courses, you gotta do them right and that likely means you need to include some live element or some more interactive element in most of your digital products because, you know, cookie cutter, just like a dime a dozen doesn't really cut it anymore. With that said, do I plan to increase it, decrease it? Um, I think the same. I think one thing that was interesting though, this is the first time that I really broke it down this year to see what 
percentage was passive versus active or more passive versus active. And I'm actually surprised to see that 35% of the course sales were still those more passive on-demand courses. I definitely thought the cohort-based courses were a lot more of that bucket. So that does have me thinking, you know, maybe, like I said, I did work a lot this year. I was pretty burnt out at certain, certain periods of the year. Maybe I can do two cohorts instead of three this year and introduce more on-demand courses for in-between or something like that, or focus on maybe driving ads to some of my evergreen funnels and things like that to really pull the lever on that instead of, you know, grind, 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 live teaching, like pretty much every month of the year. So definitely something that I'm going to put my thinking cap on about and try to figure out. Okay, so I think that is it. Those are all of my revenue streams and what percentage of my total revenue they represent. I also would be remiss to say that revenue does not mean what I get in my pocket. I do work with some amazing people and this wasn't always the case. Last year, I was working almost 100% solo with just a little bit of freelance help. This year, I have an operations manager who is responsible for a lot of the online course stuff. You know, she's really helped raise that revenue number up. So I'm very grateful to her for, you know, all the email support, the customer support involved with that, helping coordinate with guest instructors and, you know, things like that. So super, super helpful. Also, I already mentioned my partnerships manager with the partnerships. That one is pretty obvious, but also I brought on a video editor this year. She doesn't do all my videos, but she does some of my videos. And that definitely helps with being able to put out more content to raise that YouTube revenue number. And also, maybe with some of the sponsorship money as well, because I'm able to take on more sponsorships and get those out appropriately. I also recently hired a copywriter who helps with some of the scripts for some of my videos. Again, not all of my videos are scripted, but when I need that support and some other uh, landing pages and things like that. So the reason I bring that up isn't because you can't do it alone, because I have done it 100% on my own for many years, but if you see these numbers changing, you know, if you look back at the last episode from last year and you say, oh wow, these numbers changed a lot, you will see it's largely due to the investments I've made in people and in my team. And that just because a revenue number is higher than last year doesn't mean I'm pocketing more of that money, if that makes sense. You know, I've made investments in people who help those numbers change around a little bit is the point. I hope this episode was helpful for you. Hope it got you thinking. Let me know in the comments if you're watching on YouTube, is there a revenue stream that you are looking to grow next year or maybe create? As you know, I'm a big believer in diversified revenue streams, even though I do believe in focusing on one thing at a time. I definitely believe in the power of having multiple revenue streams, even if they're small, it can really help you out. You know, if something unexpected does happen in March of 2020, my business changed a lot. I did lose one of my big full service clients and being able to have something working in the background with my online course that I had was really helpful because I could pretty much just pull the lever on that and say, okay, let me take what I learned from that small revenue stream and really amplify it now that I have a little bit more time on my hands because I lost this client. So it can really be very helpful and frankly can save your business by not just relying on one thing. So I hope this got you thinking. I hope you enjoyed. I'll be back next week for a new podcast episode and I'll be on YouTube Monday and Wednesday for new videos. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll talk to you next time. Bye.